Good morning. For those that don't know me, I am Bruce. I'm the middle school pastor here. Usually during this service, I am one floor below. So it's fun for me to be up here this morning with all of you for second service. So this is my second time that uh, I've been asked to preach here at Wyzetta Free. And I'm pretty excited. It's the first time there's been two services for me. Uh, last time it was in the summer when we only had one service. I was kind of tempted to see if they'd just play the audio from last service and I'd just lip sync it. I figure if Britney Spears can get away with it, why couldn't I, right? But no, I'm excited to be here this morning. I'm excited. You know, last time I shared on margin and putting margin in your life and having space and all the chaos of life. And, and I summed up four years of, of my life in that message. And apparently I went long because Kevin gave me half a verse this time to work with. So I'm going to try my best to keep it a little shorter this morning than I did last time. But I, I, I'm excited to be here talking about the belt of truth. Um, I, I'm, I'm dressed up this morning more than I normally do. I'm a jeans and t-shirt guy, and I'm not wearing a suit this morning, mostly because I already wore it this month. And to wear a suit twice in the same month kind of makes me feel a little weird. So I'm here this morning, but, but I, I wasn't always so put together. Back when I started here as an intern several years ago, um, I was a poor male college student, and I dressed accordingly. Most Sunday mornings, every Sunday morning, I showed up here with the same obnoxiously yellow polo shirt and jeans. Always jeans. I had no fashion sense whatsoever. None. I always wore the same thing. In fact, Kevin Campbell to this day still gives me a hard time about it, expecting me to show up wearing the same thing again. This hideous yellow polo shirt and jeans. But one piece of clothing I've always felt comfortable to pick out myself is a belt. I can do that. Just make it match my shoes and I'm good to go. I can buy them. I can wear them. I'm good. My fashion sense, though, was so bad that one of my gifts for college graduation was a book on male fashion. <laughs> they, they, they came up to me and said, Bruce, you, you could really benefit from this. As you move into the professional world, you can't wear jeans and a polo shirt to everything. And, and it was, it, it became even more apparent to me later on when I got married and went on my honeymoon. My wife and I drove to uh, Estes Park, Colorado for our honeymoon and on our way, we passed a Target. My wife said, oh, pull in, we got to pick up some stuff. Oh, okay, soap or something. I don't know what we buy. You know, we pull in. She goes, no, we're buying you clothes. Apparently, cut-off camouflage cargo shorts are not appropriate attire for taking your wife out to eat on your honeymoon. This was news to me. But there are many people who say that the, the belt in fashion is what ties the whole outfit together. And so we're going to look at the belt of truth this morning. And we're going to talk about how it ties us together and it ties our life together. And so as an example of that, I brought another kind of belt that I want to share about. This is a safety harness for rock climbing. Now, I spent six years working at Camp Shamina, three of which I was the ropes course director at Rock Ridge, which is their camp up in Ely. And I would take kids in the ropes course all day, every day. Um, and so I spent many, many, many hours hanging from a tree by one of these things. And I'll just give you a little lesson in ropes course uh, safety. You want the number of kids to go up to be the same as the number that comes down. <laughs> just for the record, it's kind of like airplanes. 
We want to match takeoffs and landings. But I would wear this and it would keep me connected to everything that I needed to keep track of. I'd have these hooks. I'd have all my rescue equipment. If I had to pull a kid out of the trees, it would all be hanging on these loops. I was connected to the climber. I was connected to the trees. I was connected to the ropes. Everything was tied together by this harness. And that's what the belt of truth does is it ties us together. And so we're going to look this morning at three different ways that the belt of truth ties us together. And the number one way that we need to look at is how it ties our, our lives together. We're going to talk about integrity and integration and how everything needs to be connected. But to do that, I want to tell you a little story. A couple summers ago, I got a phone call from my father-in-law asking me if I would like to join him on a little sailing excursion from Boston to Maine. So it would take about three days. Now, I'll give you a little background. The boat he wanted to sail in is the one he built and sailed it to Norway and back. It's a 38-foot, steel-hulled, 14-ton sailboat. So it's a, it's, a, it's a healthy boat. I found out about my father-in-law and his sailing and his boat building when we were pulling into the driveway to meet him the first time. And my wife said, oh, by the way, my dad does this. And I had to somehow assure him that while I can change my own oil, I can also take care of your daughter. Don't worry, sir. I, I'm handy. So, but he does this. This is what he does, and, and, and then there's me. And, and um, so when he called me up and said, hey, would you like to join me on this sailing excursion? I jumped at the chance. And I invited my father along, so it would be the three of us, for the trip of a lifetime. We were going to sail from Boston, actually from a, a province town out on the point, up to Maine. It would take us about three days, two nights. And so we took off, and everything was great, and I got horrendously seasick. The first night, I did not leave the deck of the boat, because if I went down, everything would have come up. So I stayed on the deck, and, and I just laid there. And my father-in-law said, he goes, Bruce, I knew it was serious, because you didn't talk at all. <laughs> so I was horrendously seasick. But the next day, I got better, and we had this dead calm for a couple hours, and, and we were just floating, and you know, we're about 50 to 60 miles out from the coast, which I would call the middle of the ocean. He would call coastal waters. <laughs> and we're out there sailing, and it's dead calm, and we're floating. And then that night came, and the wind began to pick up. And we would take turns. I actually got to steer the boat by myself at night while everybody was asleep and basically pretend I know what I'm doing. And, you know, you just sit there, and, and the wind's picking up, and it's getting, it's, it, the waves are picking up, and it's getting rougher and the wind was coming straight from our back and so these these waves were coming behind us and they went from no waves to like six foot swells that were coming right behind us and and so then my dad comes up and and I tell him hey it's kind of rough up here you know put on your harness and so we actually wore harnesses just like this at the same time they were rock climbing harnesses we used them to keep ourselves from falling off the boat when we were up there by ourselves and so he puts it on and then he goes and gets my father-in-law and we reef in the sails you know, we make them smaller because the wind was too powerful to have full sail out. So we reef in the sails and I go to bed. It's two o'clock in the morning. I go to bed. My dad takes over. He sails from two to four. My dad goes to bed. My father-in-law takes over. And at 4.30, under sail, 50-ish miles from the coast, I'm awakened by this loud bang. And the boat stops moving. And then continues on its merry way. We had hit something. I have no idea. To this day, we were in 300 feet of water. The chart said there was nothing there. The GPS said we were in open water. We didn't see anything. So the theories abound. My father-in-law says, well, you know, it could have been a whale. 
And I thought, that's, you know, like it's a big boat and all, but it was a very metallic sound what we hit. So I, I'm under the theory that it was a submerged container. You know, they fall off of these ships and then kind of float for a while before they sink. So that was my theory. He doesn't think that was big enough. My dad thinks we need to come up with a cooler story, and he claims it's a submarine. So, but we have no idea what we hit. But I'll tell you what, at that moment, at 4.30 in the moment, when you're standing in the middle of a sailboat, 50 miles from the coast, the concept of waterproof integrity becomes very real. It's not something you theorize about or think about. It's something you firmly desire. Because, because if we hadn't had watertight integrity at that moment, I wouldn't be standing here telling you, we don't know what we hit. I'd be telling you about how I swam to shore. <laughs> but we had it. Because my father-in-law is, has this motto. He believes that steel is real. And when he built his boat, he built it out of steel for a reason. He picked steel because it's what he's used. He's a welder by trade, so he builds things out of steel. And so he picked it because he's comfortable with it. He's, he trusts it. He believes in it. So we have this big steel boat. And so we're going to look at Ephesians and talk about integrity. And I want to start with Ephesians 6, the verses that we're looking at, where it talks about the truth, starting in verse 13. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. And this is first for a reason, because we're going to talk about truth as in integrity. We're going to talk about truth as being, as being integrity and, and how it ties us in, um, how, how truth, sorry, ties us together. Truth ties us together is where we're going to start this morning. And, and if our boat hadn't been securely tied together, it would have been an entirely different experience for me. But as it is, I'm able to stand up here and say, hey, integrity is vastly important because sometime in your life, you're going to be sailing along and hit something at 4.30 in the moment, 4.30 in the morning, and at that moment, integrity is going to be very real to you. And so it ties our life together. To be tied together is to have integrity. And the Oxford Dictionary has two different definitions for integrity. The first one we're, we're fairly familiar with. And that's all about moral choices and right choices, you know, to be a person of integrity. But I think the second is more relevant this morning, and it's more relevant to what I experienced in the middle of the ocean. It's the state of being whole and undivided. To be a person of integrity is to be a person who refuses to be anything but whole and undivided. To not compartmentalize. To let your faith integrate through your entire life. To be the same person at church as you are at work. Or better yet, to be the same person at work as you are at church. To let them all be synchronized. Any time that your life is out of sync, that you compartmentalize, try and focus on something else. Right? We've all been there. I had this experience most recently about a year ago when our second set of twins was born. For those that don't know me, I have two sets of twins. When our second set of twins was born, I had two kids at home with my mother-in-law and I had two kids in the hospital with my wife having just been born. And here I was floating somewhere in between. And I was working here at Wyzetta Free and pretty much useless. I mean, anytime you have something that significant going on in one part of your life, try and come here and pretend everything's all together. You know, I'd show up and, and thankfully I work at a great place where they just expected me to walk around and look like I was doing something. Because, because to, to show up and go, yeah, everything's great. I'm fully engaged here. No, I'm not. 
I'm thinking about my two kids in the hospital, my two kids at home. I'm not thinking. So, so anytime we choose to try and compartmentalize, we have to try and keep all the pieces together ourselves, and it doesn't work. And God's desire is for us to be people of integrity that live lives that are uncompartmentalized, that are integrated, that are, we're the same person at work or at school or at home as we are when we're at church. To be solid through and through. And I love this passage in Jeremiah 7 that my professor in seminary shared with us often, almost every week. And I, and I think it's just great. So we're going to read in Jeremiah 7, starting in verse 4. And we're going, to read, we're going to read this as soon as I find it here. Do not trust in deceptive words and say, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. If you really change your ways and your actions and deal with each other justly, if you do not oppress the alien, the fatherless or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not follow other gods to your own harm, then I will let you live in this place in the land I gave your forefathers forever and ever. So God's telling the Israelites through Jeremiah that this is what I want. I want you as a people to be unified and whole. I want you to be the same person outside the temple as you are in the temple. Don't come into my temple and say, I checked in, I'm safe. I, I, I made my visit to church this week, I'm good. And that's what they did. And we'll keep reading and read this starting in verse 8. But look, you are trusting in deceptive words that are worthless. Will you steal and murder Commit adultery and perjury, burn incense to Baal and follow other gods you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house which bears my name and say, we are safe, safe to do all these detestable things. Has this house which bears my name become a den, become a den of robbers to you? But I have been watching, declares the Lord. See, the Israelites weren't doing that. They were coming in thinking, I can live my life outside and do whatever I want because I went to temple. And the reality is we do the same thing. We sit there and we go, I can be who I need to be at work and then I can be who I need to be at home because I went to church and I was who I needed to be at church. So I'm safe. I'm good. I checked in. I'm good. And that's not God's desire for us. His desire is for us to be unified and whole, to be integrated, to be people of integrity, to be the same person at work as we are at church, to be the same person at school as we are at church, be the same person at home as we are at church. To be people of integrity, and that requires honesty. To be people, to tie our lives together. So, integrity, truth, ties our lives together. And integrity in steel boats. When you talk about my father-in-law building a steel boat and sailing it in a salt ocean. Requires maintenance. My father-in-law doesn't just go out to Maine, jump in his boat and sail around for a few days and then pull it out of the water because that salt will build up on the boat and rust away at it and cause cracks and cause that steel to begin to fail and fall apart. So before my father-in-law ever puts his boat in the water, every year he goes out and spends some time maintaining it. And maintenance just isn't as fun. I mean, let's be honest. If my father-in-law had called me and said, hey, Bruce, I want you to come out to, to Boston and help me with my boat. I'm going to have you help me scrape the barnacles off the hull and repaint it probably wouldn't have taken him up on his offer. Sailing it from Boston to Maine, yes. Scraping and painting, no thanks. But that maintenance is vital. He goes out and does it every year to make sure that his boat is fully ready, to make sure that no cracks have developed, to make sure that the, the rust isn't building up too much. And we need to do the same in our lives. So let me ask you this. Where does your life have cracks developing? 
Where is the salt water beginning to corrode and build up rust? Where do you need to step back and say, God, I need to maintain here because I'm not being a person of integrity. I've allowed lies and deceptive truths to come into my life. I'm living out what isn't true in different parts of my life. And God, I need you to come in and make me whole. Where are those cracks developing? Integrity ties us together. Integrity also ties us in to God's reality. You know, it's one thing to live in reality. It's another thing to live in God's reality. But a lot of times we like to live in the theoretical. Theoretically, the ocean is big and huge and empty. Theoretically, a 38-foot sailboat is small and tiny. Theoretically, GPS works all the time. Theoretically, charts are accurate. Theoretically, we will never, ever hit anything in a big, wide, empty ocean. Reality struck at 4.30 in the morning. We hit something. It should have never happened. But God doesn't dwell in the should-haves or shouldn't-haves. God lives in the reality. And, and, and what's funny is when we look at that Jeremiah passage, he was talking to the Israelites about what they should, not what they should be doing, but about reality. You're coming into my temple and not being people of integrity. Or if we look at the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments are pretty basic, right? And they're, they're not things we should do or should not do. They're the reality of living in God's kingdom. And look at what he tells the people of Israel. These are the things. You want to be my people? These are the things you need to do. I am God. Do not worship idols. Do not take the Lord's name in vain. Honor the Sabbath. Honor your parents. Do not kill. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not lie. Do not covet. Let's be honest. You take those ten things away, you don't have bad community. You have no community. Try living with a person who doesn't do those things. You don't have a real relationship. Somebody who lies, you don't have a real relationship with them. You have a fake one. Right? All those things are about being people of integrity. And God says, this is not what you should do. This is reality. You want to have community? This is community. Community is being people of integrity. So integrity ties us in to God's reality. When I was in seminary recently, I, and I still own this car. It's a Toyota Camry. And um, I parked it in the seminary parking lot and went into class in the commuter lot, which is always full of cars. Park it in, in, in the slot and go into class. Four hours later, I come out and my car has this conspicuous empty parking spot right next to it, right on the driver's side. And I go, oh, that's kind of odd. I'm a little early coming out. There should be a car there. And I walk out and there's a huge dent in my back fender. Huge. I mean... Nobody could have hit my car that hard and not realized it. And there's nobody there. And there's no note and there's no nothing. And so the dent is still in the back of my car because I just don't care. And I don't want to spend the money to fix it. And that person didn't leave their information, so it's not going to be fixed. I tried to hammer it out. Didn't work. It's still there. I don't care. But then fast forward another year. And here I am parked in the seminary parking lot. And I'd only taken one class that quarter instead of two. So after two hours of class, I come out to my car. I'm going to go home. I have four kids at home. I'm going to go, you know, get home at a decent hour. And, and uh, I, decent hour. And I, I back out of my slot. I'm in a hurry. And I slam into another car. And now the shoe's on the other foot. And now I get out and I go, ah. Oh, I don't need this. I can't afford this. I don't want this. And I look and here the, the guy, I found out later, had 
pulled into his parking spot and pulled ahead two or three feet and parked halfway in the driving lane. And so when I had backed out, I had assumed that it was empty, and it wasn't. And, here, and, and if I had dwelt in the theoretical, in the should-haves, I could have easily justified driving away and not telling him. Somebody hit me and didn't tell me. His car is in worse shape than mine. <laughs> He'll never notice. He was parked in the driving lane, not me. But to live in the reality of the kingdom of God and to be tied into God's reality expects us to step forward and say, you know what, I'm going to be a person of integrity who acknowledges that I made a mistake, even though the same mistake has been made to me and that person didn't do it. Even though I've been hit before, that doesn't matter. What matters is being a person of integrity and when nobody is looking, standing there and saying, you know what, I am going to leave my information. I am going to call campus security and tell them I did this and then and, and, and do that. And the good news is the guy came out and said, I was in the driving lane. My car is in worse shape than yours. Forget about it. But, but being a person of integrity steps up and says, I'm going to live in God's reality. And God's reality says that despite what's happened to me, I'm going to be a person of integrity who steps up and says, this is me. I did it. I'm going to live in that reality and not lie and not covet and not... That's living in God's reality. That's what integrity does. The belt of truth ties us into God's reality and forces us to live in that existence. And to do that is good. So let me ask you this. Where in your life are you not connected to God's reality? Where have you let lies and justification creep in and corrode at your life? Where are you not living in God's reality, but living in the theoretical? Theoretically, I can do this because no one will know. I can do it because nobody will see me and know that I'm different. Nobody will realize that I'm faking it in one way or another. Where are those spots in your life where you're not connected to God's reality? And where do you need to do that maintenance? So truth ties us together. Truth ties us to God's reality. I want to read uh, from Ephesians 4, where we get this reality. Ephesians 4 says this, and I'm going to read from the message, because I love how it starts off. It's rotten. Paul is talking here about our old reality. It's rotten through and through. Get rid of it. And then take on an entirely new way of life, a God-fashioned life, a life renewed from the inside and working itself into your conduct as God accurately reproduces his character in you. So this armor we're talking about putting on that Kevin is going to continue to hand out and equip us in, what's cool about it is it's not rotten through and through. It's our, that's our old reality. We're putting on a new reality, and this new reality is, from Ephesians 6, God's armor, not ours. God's reality, not ours. Because the character we're developing is his character. The armor of truth, the belt of truth, the armor that we're putting on is God's armor, not our own. We don't have to stand there when we slam into something at 4.30 in the morning and rely on ourselves. We're relying on God's armor and we're relying on God's reality and God's truth. And that's a much safer and more comfortable place to stand because when I was at, in the middle of the ocean at 4.30 in the morning, I was very glad to be able to rely on the boat's flotation instead of my own. To live in God's reality instead of my own. So the third thing. Truth ties us together for effectiveness. 
The belt of truth is first for a reason. The reason that Paul starts his analogy with the armor of God is because the belt in Roman armor tied everything together. It kept it all connected. The breastplate of righteousness was connected. The breastplate of armor was connected to the belt. The sword hung on the belt. The shield was carried by the belt. The belt hung down and protected the, the loins and the legs. It was connected to the, uh, the shin guards and things. It had the, the lance. Was connect- it pulled everything together. Take that belt away and send a soldier into battle and he'd spend the whole time trying to keep his stuff on. Have you ever felt that way? That you're just trying to keep your stuff together? Because you don't have something that's supposed to be connecting everything together? Imagine, and and I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that it's going to be the Broncos in the Super Bowl, but imagine Peyton Manning launching a pass down the field at the Super Bowl and the receiver running down there with one hand on his pants to keep his pants on. How effective is he going to be as a wide receiver if he can't keep his pants on? The answer is he's not. And the same was true with the Roman soldiers, that if they hadn't had something to connect their stuff, they would have gone into battle so focused on themselves, they wouldn't have been effective soldiers. And so when we live in a way that isn't integrated, in a way that isn't tied into God's reality, we spend so much time focusing on keeping our stuff together that that's all we can focus on. And God can't use us. If a soldier had attempted to conduct warfare without a loin belt, he would have come undone in the midst of the battle. The middle school students are up here right now because we are talking about character in middle school Sunday school. And so when Kevin came to me and said, hey, Bruce, I want you to preach on integrity. I said, what week? And he said, the 19th. I said, how interesting. That's what I was going to talk about. In Sunday school on the 19th. So I thought this is a great opportunity for them to come up and join us and be a part of our community and hear the exact same thing that I was going to say downstairs. This will work out great. We're doing it a little different, though, because we're looking at the fruit of the Spirit rather than the armor of God. And I wanted to kick off talking about the fruit of the Spirit because I think uh, by talking about integrity, because I think integrity is paramount to the fruit of the Spirit. Imagine the fruit of the Spirit, which we're going to read from Galatians 5. Imagine the fruit of the Spirit without integrity. And the fruit of the Spirit is this. This is what a fully integrated life looks like. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. This is what a fully integrated life looks like. Now, What do you have when you take integrity away from those things? Take integrity out of love. You don't have love, you have favorites. Take integrity away from joy and you don't have joy, you're faking it. Right? If we have peace without integrity, then we are deceiving ourselves. If we have patience, kindness, and goodness without integrity, we're playing favorites. Oh, sorry, if we have love without integrity, it's manipulation. And we simply cannot have faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control if we have no integrity because they are incompatible with each other. Because being a person of, of character, living out God's truth effectively requires that we have integrity because otherwise we're manipulating and playing favorites and faking it. And that's not what a fully integrated life looks like. And we're not effective. And, and we're going to show a video clip here in just a second that I just love. And it's from an older movie. It's from The Mighty Ducks, which came out when I was in probably middle school. But what I like about this clip is, for those that haven't seen the movie, is it's about a hockey team that doesn't have anything. 
It's from a, a poor part of town. They have magazines wrapped around their legs for pads. They don't have a coach. And, and they're trying to be a hockey team. And they get this coach assigned to them because he got in trouble and is doing community service. But eventually he, he begins to care for these kids and he gets them the appropriate equipment. And so we're going to look at the goalie experiencing proper padding for the first time. This is your bar mitzvah, Goldberg. Today you will become a man. Coach, I think you got the film where he's mixed up. Coach, will you come back here? Whatever do you, man? District 5, ready! Oh, man, I'm gonna die. I'm gonna die. Hey! Oh, guys, what the heck? No, you Goldie. Oh, please, no. Fire! So suddenly Goldberg can live out what he was intended to be. Suddenly when he's not afraid of the next slap shot, when he's not afraid of where the puck's going to hurt him next, when he's not afraid about whether his armor will withstand because he's put on appropriate armor, he can be the goalie. His entire demeanor changes. He goes from being scared that he's going to not reach his bar mitzvah to laughing at the pucks that are coming at him. And that's the reality of being people of integrity, being connected fully, of living integrated lives, being connected to God's reality. It allows us to be effective and live in his power and live in his truth. And our model for a fully integrated life is Jesus Christ. In Philippians 2, it says that he gave up everything and humbled himself, became obedient to death, even to death on a cross. And he lived a fully integrated life. And he rested in the power of God and sacrificially gave himself up on our behalf. And that's the model for love with full integration. That's God's love. And that's our model that we're supposed to live up to.